I'll begin reading in verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For, pro- for who provoked him? When they heard. Indeed, not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. And with whom was he angry for, for, uh, for, for, let me see here. With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. This passage here in Hebrews is referring all the way back to the Israelites where they were on the threshold of entering into the land of promise. Remember that? God had brought them through the wilderness and um, they were just about ready to go right into that land which God had actually promised all the way back to Abram. Abram. And... um, we read that in Genesis that, that God called Abram, not because of any righteousness on his own. There's, there's no indication of Scripture that he in himself was righteous. But God called him and said, Abram, I'm going to give you a land. And I'm going to, it's going to be yours forever. And God then reiterated that promise to Abraham's son Isaac, and then he reiterated again to, his, to Isaac's son, Jacob. And then we remember the scriptures telling us that Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph, and Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And Joseph eventually ended up in Egypt as a slave. But by the mighty and powerful hand of God, God rose him up to be second in command in all of Egypt. Well, there was a famine in the region, not only in Egypt, but also in Canaan, in that area. And Jacob said to his sons, go over to Egypt, because we heard that there's grain over there and we, want, we need some food. We need to sustain ourselves. So the brothers went over there to Egypt, and we know the story, and was reunited again with their brother Joseph. And so Joseph invited his father and his whole family to settle in Egypt where they would be cared for. Well, God then, the scripture says, um, as the years went by, the Pharaoh who knew Joseph passed away. And there arose another Pharaoh who knew nothing about this Joseph. He didn't know the blessing that Joseph had been to uh, the Egyptians. And so the Pharaoh kind of decided that they were going to put these Israelites into hard labor. They were going to enslave them. And so probably for about 400 years, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. And then God heard their cry. And he rose up a man by the name of Moses. And he wanted Moses to 
be the instrument who would be that leader that would lead them from bondage into the promised land. Some may think that the promised land refers to heaven. But I believe as we read in Hebrews that the promised land actually refers to a life of faith walking in submission and obedience with our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a place of rest that God has brought to us believers in Jesus Christ. And it is that land of rest that God wants to bring us into. Well, anyways, remember for 400 years the Egyptians were holding the Israelites in bondage and they came to the Red Sea. I'm sorry, and and eventually uh, through the plagues, uh, Pharaoh kind of gave up and he said, well, okay, you can go and worship the Lord in the wilderness. And so... He reluctantly let the Israelites go and they boldly went out, the scripture says, and they were heading out towards the Red Sea and um, they got to the Red Sea with that in front of them and they turned around and behold, behind them they saw the Egyptian army in hot pursuit. Pharaoh had changed his mind. He said, what am I doing letting these slaves go from serving us? Well, God performed a mighty miracle and he parted the Red Sea. And the Israelites walked through on dry ground. And when the Egyptians, who were in hot pursuit, came into the Red Sea, after the Israelites had safely passed through that spot, God closed the waters over the Egyptian army. And the scripture very clearly says, and not one of them was left. Very important. Not one of them, referring to the Egyptian army, was left. The Egyptian army represented slavery. It represented bondage to sin. And we read in Romans 6, 6, the scripture says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with it, we should no longer be enslaved to sin. And so that Red Sea experience refers to the saving work of Jesus Christ at the moment of salvation to forgive us us of our sins. But God had something more for the Israelites. He wanted to bring them into the land of promise, a land of rest. And so, God carefully brought the Israelites through that wilderness just on the threshold of going into the promised land. And we're going to pick that up in Numbers chapter 13. And we're going to read about this event about what God wanted to do and Israel's response. That's Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. In verse 1 of Numbers 13, God's word says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of the men, all of them, men who were heads of the sons of Israel. These then were the names from the tribes of Reuben. And there's a list that goes on here showing the names of the men who went out, the twelve. I'm not going to read that, but I'm going to continue and pick it up in verse 17. When Moses sent them to spy out the land, he said to them, go up there into the Negev. Then go up into the hill country and see what the land is like. 
and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. And how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob at Labo Hemeth. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Telmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskol, and there they cut, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. But can you imagine the size of that grape cluster that it needed to be carried between two men on a pole? The abundance that God had provided for his children. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, uh, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. Um, I'm sorry, the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are a part of the Nephilim. And we became grasshoppers, like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Boy, we see right here that certainly the report that these 12 men gave was one of abundance. That yes, it was a land of of fruit and and things like that. But 10 of these guys, these spies, gave a bad report. They were looking at things on a human plane. And we're going to see in a moment that their report was completely different than Caleb and Joshua's report. In verse 14, verse 1, we read, Then all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. And why are you, uh, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? That was a place of bondage. And they were to that point of despair. So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Boy, there's one distinction between Joshua and Caleb and their report and the other ten spies. And that was, they were looking to God. Joshua and Caleb realized that this was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, as did the other ten spies who gave a bad report. But they were willing to trust that God was going to be faithful to his promise and take them into that land of promise, that land of abundance, which God had promised many, many, many generations before. We see that the sons of Israel were willing to receive the bad report and were willing to be intimidated by what they saw on a human plane. You know, the, the life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is a life of faith. And we're going to see here in just a moment the response that the Lord had because the Israelites were not willing to trust God to bring them into that land of rest, that land of promise. And so let's pick it up here in verse 7. Um, I'm sorry, no, in um, verse 10. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. The Israelites had come to the point where they were willing to stone Caleb and Joshua. They didn't want to receive their report. And there is a scripture that is very sobering that helps us gain a fuller understanding of the attitude that the Israelis had when they were on the threshold of the promised land. And we read in Psalm chapter, um, Psalm chapter 106, verse 24. I'll read that for you, unless you want to turn that to there for yourself. The beginning portion of this psalm, Psalm 106, there is a review of God's activity and work among the Israelites. And it, it mentions the, the various uh, circumstances that the Israelites uh, found themselves. And it, um, and it shows how... The Israelites believed God, but their belief was very short. And then another event would happen. And then we come to verse 24 that actually refers to the event that we're considering in Numbers. The scripture says of Israel, Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen 
to the voice of the Lord. A couple weeks ago when I read this verse, it struck me so much, that word despised. When I considered this event, this account in Numbers, it was a matter of just the Israelites weren't willing to trust God to go into the, the promised land. But in Psalm here, we gain a little bit deeper understanding of their heart attitude. They despised the pleasant land. They considered it as being unworthy or unsatisfactory. The very gift that God wanted to give them, they were not willing to appropriate, to receive. They were looking at things on a natural plane and neglecting to acknowledge that it was the Almighty God, the all-powerful God who was calling them and leading them into the land of promise. We're going to read on here in verse 11 of chapter 14 of Numbers. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me and how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by thy strength thou didst bring up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that thou, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for thou, O Lord, art seen eye to eye while the cloud stands over them, and, that, and thou dost go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if thou dost slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of thy fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath. Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness." But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as thou hast declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy loving kindness, just as thou also hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Moses the humble servant of God, intercedes on behalf of Israel. And in verse, 40 we, or verse 20 we see, So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to, uh, to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and he and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and Canaanites live in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Wow. We see something different here in that man, Caleb. He had a different spirit in him and he fully followed the Lord. He was willing to trust God by faith what God wanted to do. 
He was willing to believe God and obey God in obedience. And we see in that in, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter three where the two terms uh, unbelief and disobedience are linked together. Israel was disobedient because they were not willing to believe God for his promise. Well, why was God so displeased with the faithlessness of Israel? Why was he so displeased with them? We read further that because of their unwillingness to trust him, they were going to be wandering around in the wilderness for the next 40 years. 40 years. Until that generation of the men who were 20 years and up had all died in the wilderness. Why was God so intensely displeased with Israel? Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We, the children of the living Christ, have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Not that we could serve ourselves, but that we could walk in the works that God has prepared for us. And as we are walking in obedience with our Savior, when we are trusting Him by faith as He speaks to our hearts, do this and say that and don't do that, then we are walking and accomplishing the works that God has called us to accomplish. The Scripture tells us in Romans 8.14, For all who are uh, being led by the Spirit of God, these are children of God. God is faithful to lead us by His Holy Spirit. And what is the consequence of disobedience? Boy, we see it in the nation of Israel. For the next 40 years, because they weren't willing to enter into the promised land, into that, that land of rest, they wandered around in a wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years. Well, God calls us to a point of obedience. And in Hebrews, um, I'd like us to turn back to Hebrews now and pick it up again in chapter 4, where we continue our analysis of that event that occurred way back in Numbers when the Israelites were on the threshold of entering the promised land. There's an exhortation to us as Christians. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, Therefore let us fear lest, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed entered that rest, just as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good, good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, Today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts. As believers, we have been given the Holy Spirit. We read in John chapter 10 where Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd and we his sheep. And he says, the sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We have an intimate and personal relationship with the living Christ. One of hearing and following, hearing from and following our Savior. And right here in Hebrews, we're, we read about a scripture that's referenced, that's actually found in uh, Psalm 95, the 95th chapter of Psalm. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the interesting thing about today is that tomorrow is going to be today. When we experience tomorrow, the reality of tomorrow is going to be today. And so, each and every day, the exhortation for us is not to harden our hearts to the voice of Jesus. Well, we can read something about obedience in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 that gives us some great insight. You know, what would characterize obedience? What does God really expect of us? Well, there's a couple of things that scriptures teach us. And first of all, that God expects from us complete obedience. Not just partial obedience. When he calls us to do something, he calls us to fulfill it to the T. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, some of you are familiar with this passage and uh, its, uh, its references concerning um, Saul and Samuel. And Saul was the first king of Israel and he was the, the king at the time that uh, Samuel uh, came to Saul and indicated to Saul that Saul, the Lord wants you to go up against the Amalekites and utterly destroy them. You're to utterly destroy every man and woman and child and infant and every oxen and every sheep and everything that they have, you're to destroy. Well, the Lord mightily gave Saul the victory, but the people in Saul's army withheld some of the possessions, the booty for themselves. They did not utterly destroy everything. And so we pick it up in verse 20 of Samuel 15. Then Saul said to Samuel, I'm sorry, um, in verse 19, this is Samuel speaking to Saul, the, the high priest Samuel, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on a mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, and choices of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, the high priest that is, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and heed, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as the iniquity, is as iniquity and idolatry. When we really read something sobering here, where Samuel the high priest says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey the voice of the Lord. Here it is. Saul thought, well, we'll just keep a little bit aside for ourselves and, and then we can sacrifice some things to the Lord and, and, and that would suffice. No way. God wants complete obedience. And because of this event right now, here, God was so displeased with Saul that God had purposed 
to replace Saul with another king. And that ended up being King David. But we read here about it is better, I mean, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Well, Brother Kerry referred to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 this morning, just a few moments ago, in, in, a, in a perfect context. Present your body a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord. But yet Saul says to obey is better than sacrifice. So how do we reconcile these two scriptures? Boy, what Romans is referring to is presenting your whole body as a living sacrifice. In other words, on the altar of God, we say, Lord, I am yours. I am dead to self. Just what Pastor was talking about last week. The cross, where we take up our cross daily and say, Lord, I surrender to your work and your will in my life. And I am yours to do in me and through me what I can never do on my own. Well, what does it mean then when Saul says to obey is better than sacrifice? Boy, sometimes in our lives we may get to the point where we say, Lord, I know you're calling me to do this, but I'm really not at a point of doing that right now. We neglect to obey and we say, but Lord, I'll do this for you. I'll sacrifice this little area over here. I know, Lord, you're calling me to be a part of this ministry, but boy, I, I, I just, I'm really fearful. And, and Lord, I, how about if I just come to prayer meeting once a week? You know, I'll sacrifice my, my Wednesday night so I can come to prayer meeting. Even though we know that God is calling us to obey Him in another area. To obey is better than our self-made sacrifice that we think is going to please God. Well, God wants our obedience to be complete, not partial. And also, He wants our obedience to be immediate. In Abraham, uh, Genesis chapter 22, remember uh, we read about Abraham being, um, having received the promise of God, that is his son Isaac, the son whom he loved so much. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to sacrifice your son, the son whom, whom you love. He was the son of promise. Amazing. A miracle at that, that God had given to Abraham and Sarah. And now God wants Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And so the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 22, so Abraham rose early in the morning and he followed the Lord in immediate obedience. Remember in Matthew chapter 1, we read about Joseph. He uh, was betrothed or he was engaged to, uh, to Mary. And um, he found that uh, Mary was with child by the Holy Spirit and was considering uh, sending Mary away. But in a vision, uh, he received a word that he was to take Mary at his wife. And so we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, about Joseph. It talks about Joseph and it says, He arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Joseph immediately obeyed. Paul the Apostle, we read in Acts chapter 16, uh, remember, just not too long ago, Pastor was bringing us, uh, providing teaching through the book of Acts for us. And in chapter 16, we read that Paul was trying to go into Bithynia, he and the missionary group that he was with, but they were not permitted by the Spirit of Jesus. But in a vision that Paul had, there was a man from Macedonia and said, come over here and help us. 
And so they discerned that God was calling them into Macedonia. And the scripture says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. So two things we read from that we glean from the scriptures about obedience. That God would have us to have obedience that is complete and thorough and also immediate. We read here that after a while, the Israelites, um, after God told them that they were going to be wandering around in the, in the, the desert for 40 years because of their unwillingness to trust him to go into the promised land, after that, they felt remorse and they said, we have sinned. Look, we're right here on the promised land. And um, so they said, we're going to go into the promised land. And so they took the initiative on their, no, on their own against the counsel of Moses. God was not in this. And it ended up that they were uh, defeated by uh, those who were in the land because of their disobedience. And they ended up going back then into the wilderness for 40 years. God has a, a powerful work that he wants to do in us and through us, friends. And to what extent do we deny ourselves the blessing of knowing the provision of God as he leads us moment by moment during our days? And to what extent, do, by, by disobedience that is, and to what extent do we thwart the purposes of God in us and through us because of our disobedience? You know, there may be areas in our lives that God has called us to obey him in, to reconcile a broken relationship, to humble ourselves before someone else and to confess our sin before someone else. And we've neglected to do that. Perhaps there is a calling that God has in our lives. Perhaps some um, have been called into full-time ministry and there has been a reluctance to follow God in that ministry. Perhaps there is someone that God has called you to share Christ with at work, but you're intimidated and you're saying, Lord, who am I to speak with my manager or with the vice president of the company? And yet you know that God has called you to minister to them. As we look at our circumstances on a natural plane, even as the Israelites were, when they were looking into the promised land, we are intimidated and very easily neglect to take that step of faith and to believe God and to trust him for what he's called us to do. But when we recognize that it is the living God who have, has called us to walk in obedience, that we will know the victory and we can confidently take that step of faith and say, Lord, I am yours. Lord, I am nothing but a living and holy sacrifice before you. I'm an instrument of righteousness in your hands. And Lord, I seek to walk in obedience to your work and will in my life. Friends, think, think for a moment. If... Every single one of us in this congregation were heeding to the voice of Jesus in our lives. Every moment of every day, we were walking in obedience. We would be a congregation who would experience the nearness and the power of God. Because when God wants to do a work in our midst, He does a work of power. He wants to save souls in our families, in our community. When we walk in disobedience, we thwart the purposes of God. When we neglect to obey God in the areas of relationships, even within our own body, to humble ourselves with one another, we thwart the love that can exist and be manifest in our midst. And so, today, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, by way of closing, 
Hebrews chapter 4. The Scripture says in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would have not spoken of another day after that. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest, that rest, lest anyone fall through, the, through following the same example of disobedience. That place of rest is a place where we are knowing the peace of Jesus, where we are knowing the joy of Jesus, where we are knowing the provision of Christ in our lives. And so not only are we going to experience the blessing of intimate relationship with our Savior, but we are also going to be used as instruments of righteousness in the lives of others around us. We know the scripture that says, concerning the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the Spirit's work to convict the unbelievers concerning their lost state. And when they come to that conviction, and when they realize that they are in need of a Savior, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? They're going to go, I believe, to those whom they have seen exemplify the presence of God in their lives. Oh, you know what? Joe. I work with Joe. And he's been talking about Jesus all the time. And he's talking about the saving grace of Jesus. And that man's life is different. I'm going to go to Joe and say, Joe, what do I do? What do I do? And as we as individuals are walking in obedience with the Holy Spirit, with, the, with Jesus himself, and as a congregation we are moving towards that place of entering in to what he's called us to do, then the community is going to recognize that Jesus is in our midst. And they're going to recognize there is something different about those people. And the difference is going to be that we're looking to and obeying the Almighty God. And we are seeing His power displayed in our midst. Well, friends, let's be diligent to enter into that rest, into that place of abundance that God has for us. It's a way, it's, and the means of that is by surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ, appropriating His promises, and walking with Him in obedience and by faith, moment by moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the greatness of your loving kindness for us. Lord, we thank you for your mighty power to save. And Lord, we thank you that you have, Lord, redeemed us. Father, most of us in this room, Lord, we have been redeemed because we have appropriated your saving grace. And Lord, we thank you that your will is to accomplish your work in us and through us for your glory. Lord, that the nations around us, that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, would recognize that you are alive, that there is a living God who is one who saves and who redeems and transforms and delivers from bondages. Father, we pray that we would be a people who walk in sweet surrender, in obedience, moment by moment throughout our days for the glory of Jesus. Father, use us as individuals. Use us as a church as we surrender to Jesus. We trust you, Lord, and it's in your great name we pray.
Amen.